0: Well, good morning, church. It's a joy to worship God together with you already this morning. And our first two-service Sunday. I haven't done two sermons since mid-April. And um, you might be hoping uh, I'm running out of steam. Shorten this experience up a little bit. You might be right. We're going to find out. Uh, But I'll give that to you there. I gotta save a little bit of gas in the tank because I got this Terry Fox run afternoon. So I, got, I do have a bit of a hard timeline here. And um, I've never done the Terry Fox run before, but my wife, or not my wife, that's not true. My, my mother is in the middle of a cancer battle and so it's a little bit more personal for me this time around. And so, um, yeah, I, I think a better name for the Terry Fox run would be the Terry Fox run and walk a little bit than stop for a rest <laughs> before I run, run. That's what I'm calling it, but I'm um, looking forward to joining the community in that here uh, just after noon. And I just had this moment as, as Howard was doing some of the announcement, he's talking about this seniors thing next Sunday, and then he said 55 plus, and I had this moment, and I did the math, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm in my mid-40s. I can remember like 12 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. Oh, I'm getting old. Um, anyway, It's good. But, uh, hey, listen, I'm excited about what God has for us this morning. We're going we're gonna to start in John chapter 1. So I want to invite you, if you got your Bible, to open to John chapter 1. We're going to start there. And as you're doing that, I just want to take a second and invite God to speak to us and just say to God, God, we are open to your word. So, God, we thank you that we can gather together in this morning. Lord, as other people are listening to the news or they're listening to YouTube or whatever they're doing, Lord, we get to listen to you. We get to hear from you, the God of the universe, the one who makes all the difference, Lord, the one who has the insight we need, the wisdom we need, the power we need. And so God, uh, the Bible tells us your, your word is living and active, and it just kind of penetrates into all the situations of our life. So God, right now, for everyone in the room, would you speak to us, and we just open up our hearts and our minds to receive your good word. In your son's name I pray, amen. And, isn't that a beautiful word? Isn't that just a remarkable word? Okay, listen, all the tattoos I've ever seen, ink on people's arms, I've never seen and. I mean, why would you? It's a a pretty mundane, unremarkable sort of word. It's a conjunction, I only know that because I Googled it this morning because I haven't been in school for a while, a conjunction, it connects two things together, and, okay, pretty unremarkable, and yet I have found myself lately kind of captivated by this word, at least the way it's used and the two things it's connecting in the Gospel of John chapter one. Because John, who wrote this Gospel, which many of you know the Gospel is just a record of Jesus' life and teaching, he uses this word, I think, in an, a really incredible way. And so, we, we see this here in John chapter 1, verse 14. I want to settle on this one verse, this description that John gives us of Jesus, who John calls the Word. It's a title that he gives for Jesus, the Word. He says, the Word, that is, Jesus, He became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace, say with me, and truth. Now, I find that remarkable. Because you know what? I think I might tend to uh, expect an or there. I think we live in a world of or, grace or truth. A little bit of grace and a little bit of truth, but full of grace and full of truth. I'm not sure that our world has a category for that. We live in an or world, not an and world. You know, I um, read an article recently, something called like the coming collapse of Canada, very ominous. I read the article and it was a very ominous article talking about some of the really acute problems facing our nation. And I noticed something, and maybe you've noticed this too, when you read something on social media, I found myself afterwards all of these links and other articles on facebook and youtube all talking about the same thing with the same perspective written by the same people that are have kind of the the same mind and this is called an algorithm and maybe you've already kind of wisened up to social media's ploys right they use algorithms to find out what it is you might be interested and then they just keep feeding you the same thing and they lead you to a place where everyone else is consuming the same thing and it becomes a bit of like an echo chamber right people just like you and a kind of what it what it serves to do is it separates people further and further apart it polarizes them into kind of two different categories siloed from one another and and maybe we might put on those categories the label like grace kindness compassion affirmation over here and over here it's like accountability responsibility truth facts but we've got these two poles grace over here and truth over there and i think we tend to separate them and feel like we have to choose one or the other we live in an or world But what John is telling us here is Jesus is not an or, Jesus is and. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And and, and not like sometimes grace and sometimes truth, or 50% grace and 50% truth, but always full of grace and always full of truth. Jesus is and, not or. I find that very remarkable. So I've kind of been captivated by that word, and, in that context. If you were here last week, our, our big point, it's kind of the point for our series, is this, grace and truth are not to be competitors, but companions. And so over a series of weeks, we're looking at this interplay, this relationship between truth and grace, um, kind of acknowledging where we live in the tension of those things and how as Christians we... We kind of live in that space as and people, not or people. Last week, we said that love is the intersection of grace and truth. Where those two things meet, that is called love. And so I had this little formulation, because I know some of you weren't here last week, and it's a good reminder. We said truth minus grace, we might call that critiquing. right? Diagnosing the problems, calling them out but not really doing anything to change the situation to help out, right? If we think of like the illustration of somebody at the bottom of a pit they either fell in or they made for themselves, you know, truth minus grace might be to stand up at top and say, you shouldn't have gone into this that pit, this got you in that pit, get out of the pit. Grace minus truth is affirming. It says, hey, the pit ain't so bad. You don't need, to, you can stay in the pit. Dress it up a little bit, make it home. Grace and truth is where Jesus lives, is where, what Jesus is, and that is the place of restoration. Like John said, the Word became flesh. God came down, became a human, came to us, he made His dwelling among us. He came down into the pit where broken people were, and He acknowledged the brokenness, and He came alongside to help them out. His mission was a mission of Restoration. I was, I was actually separating the socks the other day and this, this kind of came to mind. Do you have one of those baskets of socks at your house? You wonder where in the world do all the socks go? And like, I, if you know me, I'm a terrible sock person. You, I, you, would, not, you would not respect me any longer, even if you do respect me currently. You wouldn't if you saw my socks on any given Sunday. You're like, rest of your life is a mess. If I visited your home and then like pastoral visitation, you might have noticed. In fact, two times in my 15 years of ministry, after a sermon, I've gone to my car, opened the door and there's a package of new socks (laughs) sitting on my driver's seat twice. Like once, I get it, but twice? Two different people, I get a reputation. Anyway, so we got this big, and I don't know if you've ever been there, you got this big pile of socks and finally they're like going through them and you kind of hold them up, Well, oh, that one's still good, uh, that one, like that, that, that's got a hole, that's got a big hole, and you kind of separate them into piles, right? And, and Jesus didn't come to separate the socks, right? To make judgments about what was, what was good and what was bad. Jesus came to darn the socks. He came to find the holes and then to fix the holes, Okay? We are called to be and people, not or people, because Jesus is and, and we are called to live like Him. And so in this series, uh, we're going to drill a little bit deeper into truth and grace, and this morning we're going to settle on truth, what it is and why it's important. And I really want you to come back next week, because next week is going to be important to, to understand how these two pieces go together. But this morning, what is truth, why is truth important? You know, what is truth? That was a question that was actually asked 2,000 years ago by a guy named Pontius Pilate. There's this guy, uh, he was the Roman governor of Judea. And um, this is where Jesus lived, in this Roman province of Judea. And he has this man, Jesus, this this accused man standing in front of him. And we're told in in John chapter 18, verses uh, 37, 38, we have this conversation between the accused Jesus and the governor, Pontius, Pontius says to Jesus, so you are a king then? Jesus said, "Uh, you say that I am a king and that, uh, in fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate? Now, I don't exactly know what the word retort means because I don't use it, but I think what that means is this isn't an honest question. He's not going... Can you, what is truth? He's going, this is, this is a, this is not a question, this is an answer. This is him cynically, skeptically saying, what is truth? Can we even say there is a truth? And in that sense, maybe, maybe Pontius Pilate was kind of ha- ahead of his times. Because isn't that a question so many people are asking around us? And maybe it's a question you're honestly asking. Can we even speak of truth? What is truth? truth that's a common question today or can we only speak of truths you know plural versus truth you know like my truth your truth our truth their truth like is truth something that is inside of us something that is something that we experience or we create or is truth outside independent autonomous of us is it a reality outside of us something that we just receive What is truth? John was really interested in this question because in the Gospel of John, you find him talking about truth a lot. In fact, 23 times in the Gospel of John, we have the word truth. The other three Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all combined four times. So this is one of the themes of John. He's really interested in this question, what is truth? And so in in, in John's Gospel, we'll look at a few of these statements He makes some pretty bold statements about truth the first is in john 14 6 a verse that maybe you know well jesus said i am the way and say it the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me jesus said i am the truth that's quite a statement he didn't say i tell the truth i bring the truth i am true He says, I am the truth. He's saying, I'm not the messenger from God to share the truth with you, but I am the message. Not a conduit from which truth comes. I am the content of what truth is, which is why he says, no one comes to the Father except through me, which you might feel like is kind of exclusive, right? But essentially what Jesus is saying is, I am the word of God. The word, what is a word? A word is an expression, the communication of an idea. And even right now, you can't even think without words. You look at that tree, and you're thinking about how beautiful that tree is. In your mind, I tried this the other day, you're using words. You don't speak them out of your mouth, but you're actually thinking about words when you process everything around you. Words make us understand uh, that which is um, to, to express the truth, something that is. Jesus is the Word of God. He is the truth, which is a way of saying Jesus is God's revelation of Himself. He's not just telling us about God. He is God showing, revealing Himself to the world He made. God's revelation of Himself. So here's the first thing that I want us to see this morning. It's this. God is truth. Not just God tells the truth, that God leads us into the truth. God is truth. He is the ground of all truth. It's true because that's who God is. It's true because that's what God's will is. It's not something outside of Him that God just happens to align or measure with. It is God Himself, the one through whom all reality has become manifest and is sustained. Right? The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and He made all things, and nothing that has been made has been made apart from Him. He is the reality. God is truth. He is the reference point for all things. You cannot speak about truth without speaking about God. It brought to mind when I was um, a summer construction worker. You know, those summers, I think back on them fondly. Um, it's what motivated me to go back to school so I could sit at a desk, right, and wear slacks. Man, something, that was hard work. So I, a few summers I worked for LMT Construction, doing road construction, and medicine hat. Started on the shovel and the rake with gravel. That was hard work. But then they figured out I was pretty good with math, so they gave me the laser level. You ever seen the laser level? You know, it's that thing on a tripod, probably yellow or orange on a job site, and it has has a laser that spins out completely even. Right, and then you have another guy with a stick and a receiver, and they're using it to kind of measure something based on the laser. It's a pretty cool little machine. And that's what I did for a few summers. So what we would do is we'd get to a job site and if we had to build a parking lot or a road or something, there was a big map, There's the blueprint and on there were a bunch of numbers and elevations and slopes but the very first thing you needed to do so that you could actually design this according to the plans is you needed a reference point. You needed a point, an unchanging, fixed reference point by which to measure off all of the numbers on this page. So the very first thing I had to do on the job site is I had to go find a reference point. Something that I knew when we came back to the job site tomorrow would not have moved. A truck would not have backed into it and jarred it. It would be exactly the same whether that was like a like bedrock, like a big rock, whether it was like a big concrete pad or something. My first job was to find that fixed point and then to set calibrate from that and all of the measurements, everything came off of that. That was the first thing we did every day when we got to the job, fix the reference point. And I was thinking, you know, that's really what God is. God is that point for all things. God is our reference point for what is true, and what is good the bible will say it a, a, a few different ways uh, in different places romans 23:19 god is not a man that he should lie not a man that he should change his mind does he speak and then not act does he promise and not fulfill he's not like you and i we change we shift paul would say it in this way in first timothy chapter 2 verse 13 He says, if we are faithless, he that is God remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I love that statement. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He is what he is. He is that fixed reference point. He is truth itself. So when Jesus says, I am the truth, what he's saying is, God is truth. It's interesting. John, um, as he records the words of Jesus, whenever Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit that that God the Father will send after Jesus leaves, he always describes him as the Spirit of truth. John 14, John 15, John 16. God will send the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. John 17, 17, Jesus' final prayer before he goes to the cross, he's praying to God the Father about for you and for I, those who would follow Him. He says, Father, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. God Himself and then His will that He has given, that is left for us, that is the Scripture, is God's word, which is His truth. Jesus says, sanctify them by truth, for your word is truth. So you cannot speak of truth without making reference to to God. Truth is never I feel, it's always God says. Truth is truth, even if nobody believes it, and a lie is a lie, even if everybody believes it. There's one fixed reference point for all reality, and that's what truth is. Truth is just that which coheres with what is real, with reality. So, what is truth? God is truth. That's the simplest answer. Why does truth matter? Well, here's the second thing. God is truth, and truth brings life. Truth brings, and this is so important to understand. You cannot separate truth and life. Look at how even Jesus framed it, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth brings life. I think of the words of Jesus, and I think it's in the Gospel of of Matthew, right, where he's saying... um, Those who hear my words and don't put them into practice is like someone who builds their house on the sand. The winds come and the waves come and the house is destroyed. But the person who hears my words and puts them into practice is like the person who builds his house on the rock, builds his life on the rock. And the winds and the waves are still gonna come. There's still gonna be troubles, but the house will stand because the life has been built on the rock, on the fixed reference point, on truth. Truth brings life. And this is so important because I think too often we separate those things. We might go, yeah, that's true, but it's not good. There's no such thing about the truth that is also not the good. Because the truth brings life. And Jesus would, would, would put it this way. If you continue in John chapter 8, he's talking to his disciples there. He says in John 8, verse uh, 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, say it, free. free. The, the truth will set you free. And then they kind of pushed back and they said, What do you mean free? We've never been slaves. What are you talking about? We're children of Abraham. And, and they were thinking about like shackles on their wrists. And he's talking about a different sort of freedom. Right? Like he's, talking about, he's, kind of, he's talking about like a, a mental, spiritual, soul, identity, wellness, wholeness, freedom. The truth will set you free, but lies then will bring about death and destruction because if you continue on a few verses, he's talking to um, the crowd. He says, uh, I think maybe the Pharisees, he says, uh, in speaking of Satan, that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's the antithesis of God. God is truth. Satan only tells lies, and that's what makes him our murderer. There's a connection there. Lying, murdering. Why? Because truth leads to life. Lies lead to destruction suffering and ultimately death and you see that at the very beginning of the bible genesis chapter three right that first man and that woman and satan comes to them and says did god really say that and they said no god said this right they got they got they they got it right the first time and then satan tells a lie well he wants to withhold something good from you because he knows if you eat of that you will know the knowledge of good and evil just like he does and, and Satan tells a lie to them, and they believe the lie, they buy the lie, they act on the lie, and what happens? Death. Breakdown of relationship. Spiritual death. Right? Truth leads to life. Lies bring about suffering, and ultimately, death. So, th- so this is what we need to understand. When we keep ourselves, or keep other people from truth, we keep them from life. Life. That's why truth matters. Not just because it's true, but because it's life. And when we keep people from truth, and when we hide the truth, and when we fail to speak or live according to the truth, we keep ourselves and we keep other people from life. For truth is good. And you see that, kind of that play here, how Jesus responds to the situation in in. Um, John chapter 8, we talked a little bit about this encounter last week, right? The the Pharisees caught this woman in the act of adultery. They take her, they bring her to the square, they dump her on the ground before Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, the law tells us, Moses told us, that we're supposed to stone a woman who sins in this way. What do you think? They're trying to catch Jesus, and his response is very interesting, and we're going to unpack it further next week, but this is, do you have that verse up there? I think so. Jesus um, challenged them. Um, ultimately, they all kind of left, dropped their rocks, uh, and it was just the woman and Jesus left. He straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Here we see great care and concern for this woman, um, but that care and concern didn't cause Jesus to not speak the truth about the lies she had been buying, about the sin that she had been living, right? In fact, it was his care and his compassion that propelled him to speak the truth because he knew the truth is what this woman needed to be free. Or at least she needed more than truth, but she needed no less than truth. And so Jesus would not hold the truth from her, but out of his great care and compassion, he calls it what it is because he knows that thing is keeping her from life from the better, from the best. And so in that story, it's really interesting. The Pharisees and Jesus, they both believe the same thing. They both call the same thing truth. They don't disagree, but they're doing something very different with the truth, right? The Pharisees wanted to end her life with the truth. Jesus wanted to give her life. There is no life apart from the truth. And so you'll have Paul writing these words to the church in Corinth. If you ever think New Life Church is messed up, and let's be honest, we got some mess. Not because of me, primarily because of you, but <laughs> I'm kidding, so, and because of me. Uh, we got our problems. Like the church in Corinth had their problems, it was a messy church. And, and um, Paul, in his love for the church, he, he told them some hard truths. He wrote them a letter, and, and now he kind of recounts that, that and what had happened. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 10. He's writing to this church, he says, uh, about his past kind of call, speaking the truth into their situation. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I, I see... Uh, that my letter hurt you but only for a little while yet now I am happy not because you were made sorry but because your sorrow led to repentance for you became sorrowful as God intended what does God intend that we are sorrowful in such a way that we find life the only place it can be found we turn to him for you became sorrowful as God intended and, were, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So this is what he's talking about, right? Salvation, life, requires repentance. Repentance requires conviction. Conviction required sorrow. Sorrow required confrontation with the truth. There was no other way, and and it was given not to harm, but to heal. And even though it hurt, it brought about that, it brought about life, he says. So the world needs truth, church. We we cannot let go of it. We cannot hide it under a bowl. We cannot suppress it, for love is truthful. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices in the truth, right? Right? Love is where grace and truth intersect. Love divorced from the truth, which I think very often is what the world calls love and how they practice it. Love divorced from the truth is, I would call it, flattery. Do you know what flattery is? It's telling people what they want to hear. It's doing whatever you need to do and whatever you need to say to not cause offense. Um, Flattery kills. Like, not the flattery, like, hey, do you like my haircut? And you go, yeah, I like it. And inside you're like, I hate that haircut. Like, we know, like, brutally truthful people that are like, don't like the haircut, look fat in that dress, Um, you got bad breath. You have no singing voice why are you singing um like what season of american idol are we in here season 87 is american idol still a thing i remember back as like a teenager young adult like it was a big thing right and why did we watch it because there were a lot of people on there that thought they could sing they just really couldn't oh it was just so fun and all the people in their life had told them you sound so good johnny You should do this, you're such a good singer. And then they would get there and they were confronted with Simon Cowell. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. And he spoke the hard and adulterated truth, right? But they didn't have anyone around them that was kind of willing to speak the truth to that. And and there are points where you gotta actually step in and maybe say something. But that's that's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about speaking the truth, okay? You can say you like the dress even if you don't like the dress. talking about something. We're talking about the truth of God's will. It says in Proverbs 29, verse 5, throw that verse up there, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. What does that mean? Those who will only tell the people around them what that person wants to hear, Um, what sounds nice, Might actually be doing great harm, spreading a net for their feet, leading them towards a cliff. So, where we need to speak the truth is when we see people that are doing harm to themselves or harm to others, who need the truth, who need life, we are those like Jesus who does not shy away, does not hide, and does not suppress. But who is willing to speak the truth to ask like, how can this truth how can this truth help that person? How can it help keep them from harm? And then the second question, how will I help them? Am I willing to help them um, grow in the truth? We're going to talk more about grace next week and that's that's really important, right? Because what we don't want to be is just like drive-by like truth assassins. Sin! Boom! See ya. Right? You got an anger problem! Boom! See you next week. He's not talking, and we're, and we're going to see in his encounter with this woman, wh- how Jesus acts in this encounter with this woman. That's very interesting. So, truth is all, the purpose of truth is always to bring about life. Not the Pharisee to exact judgment, to bring about life. But the truth can be hard to speak, can it? Do you ever find the truth hard to speak? Because you know, sometimes the truth can upset, sometimes it can offend. And Paul do that with young preachers, young preachers especially, because we feel this temptation. You want you want people to be happy with you, and you go, "You're a great pastor. That was a great sermon. That was that, that that was so uplifting." And I hope all those things can be true, but not in absence of the truth. And so Paul, this you know old old seasoned grizzled vet, he's writing to Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus. And um, I think are the, is the verse up there? Yeah, Second Timothy two two to four about how to, how to teach and preach. He says to this young pastor, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Okay, this is grace coming into this, right? Truth and grace, which we'll talk about more next week. And careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Do you ever wonder if we're living in a time where people are turning away from truth and surrounding themselves with those that say what they want to hear? I don't know if we're more like that than we used to be. Like when he says in season and out of season and a time is coming, like I, I think there's some way in which throughout time and place, there have been times, right? And maybe not just out there with others, but in our own lives where It's been hard to receive the truth. People want to, their ears itched. And so he's saying to this young pastor, listen, even when truth is not fashionable, you need to speak the truth. The truth brings life. So you can pray that for your pastors. Lord, give the pastors and the leaders of this church, conviction and courage to proclaim, and live according to the truth, whether it's fashionable or not, in season or out of season. Love does not hide the truth. Um, it, does not, it does not suppress it. Um, and love does not speak untruth. Because, you know, I, I feel like we kind of live in a time where sometimes we feel like we might need to say things that aren't true. Because that's what others demand, or that's what others expect, or there might be a cost if I don't, whether that's a social cost with family and friends, whether it's a financial cost, a career cost, a legal of cost, there's this pressure maybe to say things that we just know or don't believe to be true. Do you ever feel that? And, and I think about this especially, I think, right now where we're at in, in, in society, one of those areas that comes to our mind, I think, a little bit is like gender and sexuality. You know, so, so last week when I, when I had the opening message, I said, hey, listen, if there's any area in your life where you're feeling that tension between truth and grace... And you're kind of wondering, what does it look like to be faithful, you know, truthful and gracious in this? Like share it with me, email me, I want to know so that we can bring it into our time together and learn and speak this into areas of life where it's current. And um, normally I hope that nobody takes me up on my offers, but they did, a few of you did. Yeah, I got two emails this week and they were both revolving around areas of gender and sexual. What does it look like? As a Christian, to be faithful, to be loving and gracious and truthful in the midst of this, to be welcoming. Um, we live in a time, um, I think, maybe especially with the issue of transgenderism. You know, there's questions about names and uh, preferred pronouns, and maybe maybe you're in a workplace where the, like this is really current stuff. Right? More and more, I, we hear about preferred pronouns. We see it on name tags. And um, I'm a little bit insulated. You know, some of these things I think about a little bit more theoretically. I'm a pastor, to be honest. A lot of my social life is the church. And I work with people that kind of agree with me on most of this stuff. And so you're facing stuff that I haven't faced. And I'm really curious what you're facing and how you're navigating that, what you think. But, somebody, you're in workplaces, you're in social settings and families and schools where you're having to ask this question. You feel that tension. What do I do? And so, you know, I've been thinking about that, particularly with the area of kind of like names and pronouns. Like, man, if I'm in a situation where, where, where this is how somebody identifies, like do, what, what do I say, what do I do, what, what, what do I affirm? What does it look like to be truthful and gracious? And, and, you know, because here's the thing. Like, I truly believe, I truly believe that the Bible clearly teaches that that. God has made us male or female, that that's a part of God's design, good design, and so when they talk about gender being assigned at birth, I think that's true, but I think the problem is it's not the parent or the doctor who writes it on a paper, I actually believe it's God in His good wisdom and His design that He has made this, and so I believe the Bible teaches that, you know, biological sex and gender are not two different things, You know, that to be a male is to be a man, and to be a female is to be a woman, and I recognize that people struggle with all sorts of questions and feelings, and there needs to be a lot of grace and love, and we're going to talk about that more next week, but I truly believe that, like, the truth is that God has designed for gender, male and female, man and woman And we cannot choose. And it's not about, the truth isn't about what we feel and what we create and what we choose, but what God says. There is no truth apart from God. He's the reference point. And so I've thought about, like, what would I do? And and so where I've landed, and I haven't even tested this, but I know the day is coming, but like, I've thought, well, you know, I'll use whatever name somebody wants because their parent gave them that name, they want to change names, whatever, but... But, but gender is something that God has given. And I think if I say he to she and she to he, I'm lying. I'm not speaking the truth. And, and I'm not looking to offend. And I'm, you know, I, I, I would want to think, how can I go out of my way in the way that I interact with someone, not to bring about offense, but but I will not for fear of offending speak a lie. Because truth brings life. I have to believe that. Truth hurts, but truth does not harm. Not if it's truth and grace together. Not if it's Jesus' truth. Truth brings life. And so we're testing this out as a society, some of these things, right? And I was, I don't, I don't know what the future holds when people accept lies and people speak lies whether they believe them or not or just speak them. The consequences of that down the road. The whirlwind that is repped. I'm not sure that repped is a word, reaped. I don't know, time will tell. I, I had a young woman in... Um, this church, came to me a few months ago, and we were, we were talking about this. She said, I, "Rusty, I'm just so thankful that I was raised um, two decades ago, and not now, because I really believe now with the, with the sort of questions I had and the feelings I had, I think all the voices around me, what they would have told me, would have led me to change my gender and remove parts of my body and take medications, and I really believe that. And here she is; she's a woman, you know, happy in her identity, married to a man happily, and she's thinking." I don't know what would have happened if I was in now when nobody had the courage to speak the truth. We're called to always speak the truth in love, which is why you need to come back next week, because there's more to be said, right? But we, we have to understand that the truth brings about life. It is good and so we, do not, we never seek to offend, we never seek to hurt, right? But we ought to be people that do not shy away, we do not avoid, um, out of fear, avoid uh, offending by speaking untruth. We live to please God, not man. And God tells us what, tr- what love is. The world cannot define love. It's terrible at defining love. You want the world to define love? No way! It changes every year. No, no. We have a fixed reference point. Love does win. Love wins. It's the love that God defines, right? And we need to be a place here. And again, I, I, I always feel like I have to jump into next week to kind of like have the other side of the coin because I don't want to be misheard, Right? I really, this, this, this is a place where all sorts of people, regardless of what they feel, how they identify, what they're struggling with, needs a place where they can come and explore and be loved and get to know Jesus, the one who's full of grace and truth. And we need to be a part of that journey. So if you're wrestling with any of that in the room, please hear that, please hear that. And please be here next week. But we are called to be, as followers of Jesus, lovers of truth. One more thing I feel I would be remiss if I didn't say before I bring this to an end. Um, To be a lover of truth doesn't just mean speaking the truth to others. It means receiving it from others. Do you find that harder? I don't know about you, but I find that it's easy. I I, want to give truth to other people and I want grace. Am I the only one? I find it hard to receive truth at times. It's not easy. I remember, the, I said, I did something stupid the other day, last weekend. Erica's family up, her sister-in-law Liz was up, and I don't know why the question came to me, but I just said to her out of the blue, Liz, what do you think is your greatest weakness? What a stupid question. And, and it was really unwise, because I, if I could have foreseen where this conversation was going to go, I, pro- I would have never asked. I should have known better. I should have known better, you know, then of course it was going to come back and be about Rusty. Rusty, what's your greatest weakness? My wife goes, I'll tell you. <laughs> He's almost too handsome, almost distractingly so. It's, you know, she didn't say that. So she, she shared there with the group in the living room. And it was all kind of lighthearted, right? But, but, it, but it was true, it was a weakness, it was true. And I I chuckled a little bit, but I felt felt the tension in my jaw and the angst in my body because I knew it was true. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, you'll have to tell her. But she already went home, so too bad for you. (laughs) And um, I just I've noticed this about myself, it's harder to receive the truth than to give the truth sometimes. We may be quick to give it and slow to receive. But if truth is life, if truth is good, if truth sets us free, if truth sanctifies us, then I should be willing not just to give to others out of love, but to receive. Not not just willing to be corrected, but but eager to have the truth examine myself. This is the last verse I'll, I'll share here. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is, say it with me, stupid. Isn't it fun to say stupid in church? And you know, that's not my word, because you're thinking, Rusty, that's That's God's word. I copy-pasted that. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, loves truth, but whoever hates correction is stupid, is a fool. Am I the sort of person that loves truth enough that I'm willing and even eager to receive? Or do I resist? That's a good question. Am I the sort of person that out of fear of, out of fear maybe of consequences, how it might be perceived, what's fashionable or not fashionable, am I someone who resists and suppresses and hides truth? Instead of, instead of lovingly, wisely, speaking, holding it forth, because truth brings life. So here's the idea. Closing with this, that I want you to take um, take home with you. Kind of the, the, the point of this message: If God is truth and truth brings life, then we must be willing to give truth and receive truth. If God is truth and truth brings life then we must be willing to give and willing to receive. Next week, we're going to take a look at grace. Have I Did I say that? Did I tell you to come back? Right, you need to come back because we need to hear about grace because truth without grace isn't love. Truth without grace is Pharisee. Or truth without grace is Pharisee, right? So you need to come back um, because... We need to be more than people of truth, but no less than people of truth. Do you hear me say that? We are called to be more than people of truth, but no less than people of truth. Because our Lord and Savior Jesus is not or, he is and. And we too are called to be and people. What a beautiful word. If you're thinking of getting a tattoo, maybe you want to put that on your arm. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that we have come to know who you are, the type of God you are, to know that you are a God of grace, not just a judge that hands down verdicts and casts out the broken and the sinful, but you are a God of mercy, and we see that in your Son, Jesus. We see that in the cross and on the gospel. We thank you that you are a God full of grace and we thank you that you are a God full of truth, that you have not kept from us that which we need to know to be led into abundant life. Thank you that you are not like a a neglectful father who doesn't love his kids enough to share difficult instruction and to give discipline and correction. Thank you, God, that you love us too much to do that and that you have shown us your way and you've given us your spirit, which empowers us, Lord, to walk in your way. God, would you just show us what it looks like for each one of us in the room here, in our own circles, our schools, our workplaces, our homes. Lord, what it would look like for us just to live in this tension, Lord, being both full of grace and full of truth, just like our Lord Jesus Christ. Just guide us, Father, and just use us to spread the beautiful aroma of Jesus everywhere we go. In his name we pray, amen.